Hi, Cal. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, it's the end of a busy, I guess, as always, Friday. Yes. And we are set the scene for us. So we're sitting in my little music room, which is underneath my house. It's full of stuff, which is kind of like everything else in my house. There's lots of things. There's a skateboard, keyboards, lots of guitars, amps, posters, and we've got one light on. And it's, so it's a little bit dark and it's kind of setting the mood. Mm. We're looking back in time. Ah, I see. <laughs> A little bit like looking back into a dark cave or something. Looking into the dark recesses <laughs> of your mind. My mind? Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, so welcome everyone to episode three of... Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's, what are we doing? <laughs> welcome to episode three of the Screen Feeder podcast called... The Ending Goes Forever. You got it, kid. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So this week, episode three, we're talking about our second album, Burn Out Your Name. Yeah. What do you got? Well, because, you know, I haven't heard it for quite some time. The last time I actually listened to it was probably, wow, like maybe eight, nine years ago, sitting on the couch at my old house, listening to the record mm. and... um you know, that was the last, literally the last time I listened to it. And so today when I drove into work, I listened to side one um, and I was listening to it like a person who's listening to mu music that they know and love like, as a, I don't, don't want to say as a fan, but as a music fan, I hadn't heard it in so long. I could remove myself from all of the things that are attached to it. The baggage. Yeah, and I didn't have to listen to it in terms of I've got to learn this again. I have to listen to what the lyrics are. Mm -hmm. I have to listen to the bass line. I just listened to it, and I was really stoked. Wow. Yeah, I was I was like, damn it, we did a good record. Wow, that's awesome. I listened to it in my car today as well, and my car stereo is pretty shit, but I initially found it actually really hard work. Like I found oh. the guitars just like punishing and relentless and, you know, well, it's that's just, true. it doesn't that's what let I up. Loved. That's what I loved. Yeah. And I, I, I really actually struggled to hear the singing because in my cut stereo, the way it sort of plays, it, the singing was really buried. I remember actually when we were mixing the records, we recorded and mixed in one session, right? And I literally yep. remember when David Price would turn his back, I'd, I'd sneak up to the desk and I'd like, Drop the vocal level and push the guitar levels up. Oh, and also when you and he weren't looking, I was pushing the bass. The yeah. bass. <laughs> and then Tony wouldn't know what to do, but he wanted to, he would ask to have the toms right. and the yeah, snare yeah, yeah. up. And so yeah. everyone was just battling for <laughs> the, the room in Desk that wars. record. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I honestly was so impressed with just how great it sounded. You know, it's like all those guitars to me sounded like, oh, music to my ears and I was going wow like this is a really great example of me making very complicated bass oh, yeah. lines yeah we talked about that a lot in the last episode right yeah and so this is like where it peaks yeah this is where I it think. got to yeah and I think I got to the end of this record and went I just don't know if I can <laughs> play yeah. like this for too much longer were there any songs when you listen back that really stood out as ones you might have either forgotten or were better than you remembered say oh uh, so button is a song that 
I kind of always thought it's just a bit of a throwaway pop song and kind of didn't really think too much about it. But listening to it, the bass sounds so great. It's really chunky. But then there's all these little squeaky pops and noises from the guitar amp. Um, and it's actually, you know, your vocal delivery is really snarly. And then it's got this beautiful change. And right, I was like, oh, yeah. man, I was like, wow, that just swings into this beautiful mm. moment. And the guitars are cascading kind of thing. And then back and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was really surprised by how much I really liked a lot of it. Right. And I forgot about Hold On and that's a oh. great song. And I forgot there's piano on it and I forgot that there's violin on it. We, um, we thought we'd recorded it in May of... 1993 I had to look it up It's on our website So I must have written it But <laughs> then we were like Hang on We were on tour with Pavement In May of 93 What? When did we actually record it? And so just before we started You dragged out some diaries And you found it So it ended up being March of 93 right? Yes um, We recorded it in a studio Called Megaphone in Sydney I remember I was staying around At our friend Sully's place Around the corner Where were you staying? Were you there too? Well I had to just read through the diary but I ended up staying with the Daisy Grinders oh, guys, wow. this guy called Rowan. I just saw that he was away and I was staying in his bed. Wow. So that was nice. Thanks, Rowan. Okay. And I think that Tony was staying at Hamish and Todd's place in Newtown. Enmore. Right. Okay. Enmore? Yeah. Anyway, I remember it was this really um, just a routine. Like I'd get up in the morning and by, by 9.30 or so I'd be walking around to Marrickville where the studio was. So we did, I think it was either a 10-day or a 14-day straight session recording and mixing. And then, so you found some stuff in your diary. Yeah. Do you want to read a little sure. thing? Read a page I or two. I think we did t- 14 days. Would that have been? Maybe it, it was 10 right. days recording and seven, no, four. Oh, hang on. It couldn't have been four days mixing. It could have been. That's Easily. pretty intense. We always mix super fast. Recording of Burn Out Your Name, uh, March 93. I don't know what date it is, but it's around mid-March. We're recording the second album at a place called Megaphon, a studio located up about six flights of stairs in an industrial area in St. Peter's, just near Marrickville, not too far to travel from where we're all staying. Today is the second day. We've got five songs down. Producing is David Price. He's a cool guy. He's young and knows what's going on. I thought he would be older. Um, and, well, I don't know what to expect, but everything is pretty relaxed. Yesterday, we had to load all the gear in and set up, get all the sounds together. I did a lot yesterday. I started learning the piano and wrote a song. I'll be playing piano on I Won't Be There. It was unreal. Tim was playing bass and said he was nearly about to cry. (laughs) I felt the same. It was unreal. I want to learn how to play, um, but it's really hard. I think I'm talking about the piano there. (laughs) (laughs) Great fun, though. I've been playing every day. Megaphon is great. We've all got a room each. There's a desk. uh, So there's a deck outside with a great view of the city. The clouds are coming in fast today. It's been raining every day in the morning. It's getting cold and, as usual, no warm clothes. I've been staying at the Daisy Grinders again. Rowan's bed has been free, so that's 
great. My back is constantly aching and it's giving me the shits. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has been fine and we've plowed through all the drums in one and a half days. Wow. It reminds me of the five room session. Yeah. Um, my bass playing is going okay. I'm not doing any more. I'm not doing any one takes. So like right. getting it in one take. But when we get onto doing the polishing up, I'll do fine. Hopefully we'll have them done by midnight. Waiting for pizza again. We used to do long days, didn't we? We would do 12-hour days yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah, easily. I can keep talking. I can keep reading. Was that too boring? Uh, no, it's pretty good. Um, we'll just tr- you know, just edit it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Wednesday, the 12th of March. Third day, I finished my bass tracks. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Everything sounds incredible. Everyone is genuinely excited about this. It's excellent. The word vibe keeps getting brought up and the room has a vibe. It's really comfortable mentally and physically. I feel very full, <laughs> can't move, and I'm pretty stoned. <laughs> nice. We've been discussing Bud's single. It looks great. Can't wait to hear it. They should be so proud and happy. Wow. And then on the Friday, we went to see the Lemonheads play live. at Oh, um, wow. Uh, like Sydney Uni or something. We were standing up on a balcony. Mm. I think we've played at this venue. It's the one that's like near the park and near the city, like near Newtown, you know, that big park in Newtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went there and I think that's maybe when we connected with Evan. And so that's kind of about it mm, for mm. now. So we drove down to Sydney in my van. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, so I was driving around in your van and I barely had my license and... It was so hard to drive that car. It was I a great mean, little van, though. It was it? so much fun. <laughs> I loved it. Very cool. And we had all the gear with us, so we drove down with all quad boxes and bass amps and heavy stuff like that. Did we have like the mattress on onto all the gear? Did yeah, we yeah. would have taken two days to get there or just drive through no, the we night? Would have done in one trip. So the piano, like we were talking about who could have played that piano on the end of I Won't Be There. We're like, who could have done that? We looked through the album credits and one thing yeah. was listed. And then um, I found Must that have first been you. thing. It listed, it said, there I am. I'm playing the piano on Won't Be There. When I heard it today, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that piano. I forgot it about it. It is pretty lovely. It is, it's pretty. Yeah, 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 it's cute. And it's kind of sad. It is, because it's a sad song. I want to talk to you about some of your lyrics. Like, you know, we've been through song by song and like, yeah. what's that song about? Shall we? Well, let's, let's just dive into it. Let's yeah. go song by song. you remember about rehearsing and recording fingers and toes well uh, wow you know I don't I guess I remember learning it at Hisla Terrace in that front room and you and I were not working in inverted commas working um, 
and Tony was. So we'd have the daytimes where we'd just work on music, mm, mm. Like, like a dream. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that's, I think all those bass lines are so complicated because I was able to spend a lot of time. I'd come up with wacky ideas and you'd kind of um, pull them in. And you know what? We never had, like, we never used, say, a four track or even any kind of cassette to record them as we went. We just literally learned them in our heads yeah. and moved on. Yeah. I mean, we'd have, like, tons of chord charts. Like, I would have to have right. re- been relying on chord charts um, to practice and learn, but then we would have practiced them to death. Yeah. And then I remember when we first got to Sydney, we had a day in a practice room with the producer who we'd never met. He came to sit in and listen to the songs and do, you know, what's called pre-production. But the songs were not going to be changed in any way. They were ready to go. And he walked in, he sat through the set and was kind of like, ah, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. He had nothing to (laughs) add. And I think that might have been pretty weird for him. Yeah. Because I can remember it was an awkward... Session. I actually don't even remember that. But you know where I got the title of the song from? I'm, I have never told you this. Fingers and toes? Yeah. Tell Do you know? me. No. Okay, so I was in a cab coming up from the city one night and there, there's that song on the radio. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Do you know that song? I yeah, don't know I what do. it is. But it's something really it cheesy. And I was like, oh, that's a good song title. <laughs> Because carrying on the tradition of having song titles that bear no relation to the lyrics yeah. of the song whatsoever. Yeah, that's where that came from. Wow. Yeah. We have to find out what that song is. Yeah, it's something really, really Super popular. Super cheesy. And, and we made a video for it, remember? Yep, with um, David Tomasello. Yep. And we're rocking out in the forest at Tony's parents' place in Caboolture. And there was also a little baby in the video, which was my girlfriend at the time, Madonna's sister, Teresa's little baby. Sister Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> Madonna's sister, Teresa. Yeah, it sounds like something out of the New Testament. <laughs> And also there's some live footage. And I think it was live footage from the Pavement Show. At no. No? What do you got? It was at... It was with Ride. It was from the Ride Show. It it was. It was I at s- Metropolis, the live footage. I betcha. Oh. We weren't... We didn't play with Pavement then. We did. Pavement was after we recorded yeah, but this record. we made record. the video after. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Really? Yeah. We when, made the video in, like, you know, June or something. When was the... Because the album came out in May. Album came out in May. Yeah. And when did we tour with Pavement? In May. Mm, yeah, so it was around the time the but album came out. But that was our first single. We must have made know. the music I video for it. I just know that it's Metropolis footage. Okay, I'll take you away Because also it. I had, I think I had my back brace on. Remember I did my back on that tour? Yeah. And I was wearing a brace and I was really stiff. Yeah. Hmm. That's... Interesting. Any other feelings around fingers and toes? I love fingers and toes. Yeah. Like it's so fun to play. I don't, I don't know how long it would have taken to learn it because it's complicated. Yeah. Um, and like my bass line is super complicated and it goes all over the place. And there's that mel- melodic bit at the end goes off into a whole new world bass playing wise. Um, but the drum intro is just such a killer yeah I was about to swear can I swear on this it's yeah go nuts fucking killer beginning of an album yeah it's just you turn it on bam yeah. it's like right in your face <laughs> and um yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's like quite the charged beginning yeah bombastic it's bombastic and I, and it's such a great song and the lyrics are really great so I want to know what the song's about um nothing 
can't feel for feeling, can't see for seeing, I, eyes try to fail me, can't... Can't lie to save me. Can't lie to save me. Yeah, not really about anything. They're just, again, yeah. lyrics to just fit the pattern. Just and poetry. Yeah. Just like creating a vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like those types of lyrics. Mm. They're cool. Because like you can apply anything to it and people that listen to it will put their own interpretation on it and it'll be theirs for a reason or whatever. That's true. I mean, you know, writing a song and then someone says, what's it about? And you kind of go, oh, nothing. It's kind of a bit weird because you kind of go, yeah, what was I actually writing a song about? And why was I even writing a song if it was not about anything? But you're right. Mm. It's They tend to maybe be a bit more enduring for that reason. Yeah, it's about evoking a mood, mm, mm. like using language that is charged lyrics that are or like subject matter or words that um are evocative you know like uh-huh. moody and um a bit edgy Ooh, Oof. I like that yeah edgy edgy <laughs> edge lordy <laughs> the lord of the edge let's hear it yeah Um, track two, what do we got? I was going to try to not refer. Oh, you're going to kick yourself. Oh boy, <laughs> wrote you off. Yeah. Possibly the biggest mistake in our career. Well, the biggest mistake we'd made up to that point. Ever. I reckon it's the biggest mistake of our whole entire career was wow. that that song wasn't a single because we chose um, Fingers and Toes yeah. as a single. Do you remember the conversation around that? Well, I think we, we as a band thought that Wrote You Off was too poppy and catchy. Yeah. And, and then, Dan Hennessy was there and we were sitting on the couch at Megaphone, me, you and Tony and Dan. And we were like, what should be the single? What should be the single? And we were, he was kind of on the fence, I remember, but we were rooting for fingers and toes because yeah. it was just like, maybe it was newer for us and that was more exciting maybe. or something like that. Well, I think because it's super heavy and yeah. riffy and that was, yeah, that's how we identified yeah. as that type of band and wrote you off, just had this more pop up mm, kind mm. of feel. It wasn't like we didn't like the song, but I mean, we did another single. We did Button. Yeah, we did. Why? I guess it was just very simple and, you know, catchy, I guess, as well. Why didn't we put out Wrote You Off then? That's a great question. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't know. And, yeah. and it is a silly mistake. But So Wrote You Off is... You know, there's still time. We could still put it oh, out Maybe as a we single. should do that. Make <laughs> yeah, a video for it. Yeah, yeah. CGI us as, you know, yeah. in the 90s. Let's do it. Maybe we'll get Mouse to play us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. Wrote You Off. But I'm missing. Now I'm down for some kissing. Fingers crossed, I was wishing. 
listening to Wrote You Off is um it is a really uplifting song. It's kind of really cool. What what is it about? I mean, again, it's like painting a picture with um words, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But the, so I mean, you, a song might not mean anything, but what was what was putting those thoughts in your mind? In this instance, it was literally just I had the riff and uh, I was loving the riff, and I just the first line popped into my head and the song more or less wrote itself after that so it's one of those songs where you get the first line and you go yeah there it is there's the theme you know it's kind of really vaguely generic sort of split up slash um, you know dysfunctional relationship kind of thing and it writes itself and especially with the rhyming uh, yeah it just all fell into place yeah so I mean, there's lots of this really great rhyming uh, and, and the images of like, you know, you don't need coffee to be shaking, something, something, yeah, quaking, right. or don't need a coffee to be quaking. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and it kind of reminds me, there's a, couple of li- there's a couple of songs on this album where I think, oh, this is very Swerve Driver, um, rhythmic, mm. uh, lyrical, thematic kind of taking that lyrical rhyming last word in a in a verse kind of reminds me of Adam's style I think of um, writing. what you're referring to is like how often in songs like this and there's actually quite a few new or wanty songs where the rhyme comes first and the song has to fit around it you know yeah, what I mean okay. so like I'll get I'll find a word which I like and I'll I'll make the song go to that location ah. you know so, is that so what? in Write You Off I think it must have been the same because the rhyming's super tight and um it's easy to do like it's not hard to you know it's not like you've got to take the song off in some crazy direction you just got to sort of like steer it around a little bit and I like it you know it's like I like having discipline around sort of songwriting so it kind of gives you somewhere to go rather than going random and you know anywhere you know yeah which is different from how you work I know yeah I mean it's probably something that I should try and do is like write I mean you know you always have to find a word that rhymes with something and Mm. it will dictate how a line appears but you know like saying like there's probably things in there like you know I wish it was progress I was making you would never say something like that in a song unless you were chasing that rhyme and there's a couple of songs um where i almost use made up words and stuff as well (laughs) right on this record yeah i think uh is it button i can't remember i can't remember which song it is actually right um the the riff like the riff is the thing with this song yeah the riff is uh in another awesome tuning ead a sharp b e so it's uh, it's really the right you off tuning and monsters in that tuning as well and lost in the snow okay. and made of stone and quite mm. a few others. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so that made it onto the next album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, because we don't really use that tuning at all anymore. Uh, we've been using it for lost in the snow whenever we dig that out. Yeah. Mm. Ah, interesting. How did that riff come to you? Were you just like goofing off and? Well, when you put it in a weird tuning like that, there's only so many places you can go. Like, so there's really, you know, you find a couple of shapes that work, and that's what you got. And it's always in going to be in more or less the same key and stuff like that. So um, once you find the shapes and the little, you know, add-on notes, it's um, it's party time. Yeah, it's a great song. Thank you. What's the chorus? Um, there's three different choruses. Yeah. So, uh, is it also written around the idea of just the rhyme is the key? No, the choruses are the last line of the verse each time. So, like, uh, mm-hmm. like a twig and it's breaking or whatever. Oh, you know, I can't repair it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it leads off and it becomes a bit more free because it doesn't have to rhyme because it's just a repeat. Yeah, so that's right. It actually doesn't rhyme with anything apart from itself. Yeah. So the drumming in that song, it's pretty, like, this is the thing about Tony's drumming. It's very on display on this record. It's it's very Dave Grohl-y. It's really solid as hell. Solid. Yeah, definitely. We always referred to it as, like, meat and potatoes. Yeah. I don't that's what, know that's what I refer it to <laughs> as. Meat and potatoes. Some greens, some sauce, you no, know, no, some gravy. There's no, there's none of that. It's, it's just, just meat, some and meat and potatoes. And some potatoes. It's really okay. simple and effective. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, this is how I'd also refer to Dean's drumming is that it's like a spicy meatball. <laughs> it's not meat and potatoes. It's like it's another cuisine completely. Right. Cuisine. It's a fusion, maybe. Cuisine. <laughs> um, it's a different country. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's a spicier country, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So, third song. Sushi Bowl. Yeah, Sushi Bowl. It's your song. Yeah, so listening to this, I was really surprised that Sushi Bowl was third. But hilariously, I don't know why. Um, I guess it's because um, you've had like the big thumper up front, fingers and toes, and you've had the pop song, and then this song's a bit more ballady, I guess. Yeah. This is the only song that I wrote on this record, and I hadn't written really very much uh, for a few years, I think. I'd been playing in another band before I joined Screen Feeder. I was in a couple of bands beforehand and I was writing in those bands. And then I joined Screen Feeder and you had a catalogue that I had to learn and new songs coming out and stuff. So I kind of just put writing aside for a bit, which was totally fine for me. I was fine with that. But I would be squirrelling away, um, coming up with bits and pieces. But I remember when I started writing this song, it was in the front room of Hussler Terrace and I was just noodling, goofing. It was just like E minor and D. Mm. And um, I was just maybe humming the melody and then I came up with like the little chorus thing and I remember you going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I will. And so I wrote the song and it's just like verse and a chorus and then a re-break and then a verse and a chorus. And But it's so simple. Yeah, And the lyrics are so simple and it's really evocative. It's one of those... Mm -hmm lyrical things where people attach their meaning to it. Yeah, but it also paints the portrait of you in that house because yeah. that's what it's about. You like uh, E minor and D. E minor is my favourite chord. Because don't get me started, that's the two chords of that song. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't, well, I wrote that in... Is it? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't think about that. Because mm. I'm thinking about the patterns, right. not what the chords are. Uh-huh. Um, but so the lyrics is the lyrics for Sushi Bowl are very personal, but people can relate to mm-hmm. that because it's like being lonely and it's like um, living in a share house with couples or just being in transitional stage or whatever. Yeah. But there's also a Rollins reference in uh-huh. it, which is "You're the Bee's Knees." Oh wow! What's your number, please? That's from a Rollins book. Wow! I didn't. And know I that. don't know which okay. one it is, but. It's the cutest thing. He refers to someone, you know, as you're the bee's knees, what's your number, please. I love songs where you're actually just naming objects that you can see in front of you, like objects around the room. I love songs yeah, like that. So, I've got oh, a few as well. The, that's the great thing about this. So it's a really technicolor song or something because it mentions color mm-hmm. and it's like um, sad and moody. But like 
the TV was a really old yeah, TV, yeah, yeah. and it was my TV actually. And um, the colours were going funny, so reds were going purple, and so that's captured in the um, purple lips from right, rich red okay. lipsticks. Yep. And um, the name Sushi Bowl, of course, it's not in the song, mm -hmm. but it's highly related to the song because. In the house that we lived in was a big uh, aquarium. Of course. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you not remember this? Yeah, I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there was a big fish aquarium, a fish tank, mm -hmm. and someone had put <laughs> stickers yeah. to spell out sushi bowl yeah. on it, and that's because like we lived in this house, and this is written in this house, and it was all the feelings about being in that house. The song was called Sushi Bowl. Awesome. Wow. And so that doesn't. It wouldn't mean anything to anybody. But me and, you know, you. And it's still a great song to play now. Like, I love playing it. It's, it's easy and it ro it's got a sweet, like, kind of groove it's and it's lovely to tempo it. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the lead break's fantastic. It's like two searing lead breaks mm -hmm. at the same time. And the bass line is basically the first little bit of Day Tripper by the Beatles with extra stuff added onto yeah, right, it. Like, yeah, and it's really hard to play because I have to play it over three strings. Yeah, and I have to like bar my wow. fingers. It's hard to play. Wow. Yeah. You're cutting your own workout for yourself. Again. I tried to make everything so mm. hard. It was like I was torturing You're myself. Punisher. Yeah, but it sounds so good. Yeah, it does. Good for me. Good, good one, Kelly. Well done. Good one, past Kelly, making your life so unbearable. <laughs> Track number four, I Won't Be There. I Won't Be There is like the most obscure song on the record, right? Because we never played it live. No. We basically recorded it and it was out of our minds forever. And it, only when you hear the record, you go, oh, that's right. We got that song as well. It's a weird one because it's, you know, super melodic and I guess it's fairly slow and it's in this sort of waltzy timing. It's heavy though too. Like, yeah. It's a heavy song. It reminds me of the song that's on one of the Kitten Licks B-sides called... Oh, Tom? All You Can Know. Oh, All You Can Know. Because it's a similar sort of timing and a similar kind of chords. Yeah. I remember listening this morning to that song. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics are, again, it's like there's some really, really clever lyrical touches in that one. Right. I can't even remember what they are, but I know it's a much straighter kind of more literal it's a love know. song. Right, okay. Uh, except though, this is what I wanted to know, because it's like you're going, I, I want to be the lock in the key. Um, I can't remember what the lyrics are. No, but it's all, I won't be that. I won't be I know, that. but you're yeah. saying you will be, and until at the end of the stanza or the end of the paragraph, you're going, but I won't be there. Right, okay. Because you're saying, I, I don't want to take up all your time and your right. attention. Mm -hmm. I won't be this and I won't be that. Yeah. As in like you... You're trying to say, please be with me because right. I won't be the bad okay. things. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you go, but I won't be there. It's, should we listen to it? Let's do it. Come on and show 
there's a bit of a juxtaposition here. What oh. you're, you're pulling in, but you're pushing away. Huh. You're like, come on and show yourself to me. Stop playing around. You know you're no trouble to me. Don't bring me down. I ain't gonna take you apart. Won't get in your hair. I ain't gonna run you around. Shoot you down from the air. Come on and tell me a secret. Give me a clue. You know I'm not one to repeat it. One to answer to. I won't tie up your tender heart. I won't try to ensnare. I won't be the lock and chain or the key to get in there. I won't be there. Huh. Deep. But then, you, again, it's like you're, I'm not going to waste your time. I know you're very busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't You don't have to ask for my blessing. I won't take up all your attention, leave you stripped bare. I won't be able to give you a mention if I'm not there to care. I won't be there. Well, what are you playing I- at? You're like playing with this girl's heart and emotions. <laughs> you big meanie. Yeah, I am. I don't actually remember, you know, coming up with the words or writing it. I, yeah, I don't really have much memory around that song in general, actually. Yeah. It's funny that when that happens, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a good think, song, I though. I wrote the song, but I can't really remember it. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's just like writing poetry. You're just in a mood. Maybe mm. you had nothing to do that afternoon and you were like... It's just playing with words, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's one of the things I like best about songwriting, making the words really work together. Mm. Like, it's almost like a puzzle, you know? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's puzzling, though, let's say that, because it's like, it's a positive and then it's a negative. True. Yeah. You're a complex human, Tim Stewart. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. Um, what's next? Oh, my God, I can't even read your, your writing. Oh, by the way, the handwriting on the album cover, the... Um, the logo and the back is all your handwriting. Mm. Yeah. Fun facts for anyone playing <laughs> along at home. Number five is Hole of Blood. It's a song that I don't like. I like the music of it, and I find the lyrics of it very weird and clumsy and kind of a bit naff these days. What's the lyrics? Uh, it's just sort of about like roughly about sexism and, and yobbos, as we used to call them back then. Now you just call them bogans, I suppose, and buffhead, meathead, sort of sports-following dudes and things like that. You know, like men being very like getting together and being violent and things like that. It's your take on toxic masculinity, which is what we call it now. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. like I, I remember listening to this this morning, and I've always liked this song. Um, there's a lot of major carnage in nature, and we can only let it pass. Um, real guys don't want to watch a tarantula annihilate; they'd rather watch the cowboys kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, I like that you're saying some interesting things in here. Um, there's a lot of indiscrepancies on board. There's not many songs that's going to have that line. <laughs> There's a lot of indiscrepancies on board. Contradictions are the only thing that's sure. Real guys don't want to see a death that they could create. They want some real action so they can relate. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty brilliant, if you ask me. Mm, I'm a you. fan. Sign You're me up. Fan? I'll take two. <laughs> nice. I'll take everything you got. <laughs> no, I do like that. Because like, I remember you used to, at that point in time, you also had a T-shirt that said real... Real men smoke eagers, and it was That's a right. picture of a car <laughs> That's doing a burnout. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are not a guy's guy. You're not like a. You're not like a tough guy. You're not like a. Um. 
guy that you're referencing in this song. So For sure. I mean, neither are most of the guys we end up hanging around that's with. That's right. You know. We don't know many people that are yeah. really like that, I suppose. No. Although I'm from Toowoomba, so I grew up with them sure. and I really uh, re- repelled mm, myself mm. from that totally. environment. Um, remember we did a... I think it was a demo of this song or we made a recording for a Ruart compilation mm. that they said you can have any mixer in the world you know they're throwing <laughs> money around who do you want and we were like we'll have Steve, Steve Albini Steve Albini thanks and they were like yeah okay cool and so we got Steve Albini to mix it yeah and it was almost a joke that we asked for Steve Albini like I just didn't think it was going to happen and it was more like who could you if anyone knew, like Blue Sky who do you want and it's like Steve Albini yeah and so they got Steve Albini. And when we got it back, it was um, <laughs> it's hilarious thinking about it now because we probably assumed that we'd get it back and it would sound like Big Black, right? Yeah, like we would be basically <laughs> Big Black. Yeah. <laughs> With like a and drum machine. And we got it back and it was and more or less like the rough desk mix we sent over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steve Albini is known for like probably not really doing much with... Yeah, like just making the band sound like the band that they yeah, are. Yeah, it's like the honesty of the mm, recording mm. is what he'll give back to you yeah. with Steve Albini's hands having touched it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a pretty good, you know, version and everything. Yeah, Steve and that Albini version makes is us. on. I think. Oh, what's it on? It's on like uh, Seven Year Glitch, and also maybe. Don't I. The compilation that it appeared on was called Crack in the Sun, Fade in the Shade. Yes, that's right. Which I guess came out in like what ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, it would have done. Had like. UMI and yep. Tumbleweed and like all of those bands mm. that are now on Spring Loaded were on. <laughs> so we were approached by Todd from Rua to move to the label. Mm-hmm. And you weren't at the meeting, but Tony and I were at the meeting and we were like totally like indie, indie, indie all the way, like Major's labels are evil kind of thing. And we, he flew up to Brisbane. Yeah. And essentially we sort of made our minds up before he even came, but we went out for a free lunch at the Scoops in Paddington. <laughs> Are you sure I wasn't there? I don't think you were. You, okay. you might have been. I can't remember. But we basically kind of gave him a bit of a grilling about what it would involve and what the relationship would look like. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he mentioned money or anything, but it would have been a good deal. You know, we would have got like a really great recording budget, tour mm-hmm. support, all that kind of thing. And we just poo-pooed it and like, nah, we're going to stay indie. We're going to stay on survival. Mm-hmm. And that's another mistake. We, You know, who knows? Like maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe it was a great you know, decision at the time, but it felt right, but it just, it would have been helpful to have some money, you know? Well, I mean, it would have put us on the same label as UMI. True. And were custard on Rua. Yeah, and they probably would have forced, wrote you off as a single. And, yeah, you know. maybe. But I also don't feel bad one tiny bit about not signing to that label. Um, I think that we would have potentially been in debt. I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel that it was right, and I'm really glad that we didn't. Mm. We ended up being on Shock later. And, and Shock at that point in the mid-90s were huge. Like, they were, like, going from strength to strength. Yeah, and we still felt like we were an indie band on yeah, that label. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, wasn't the evils of signing to a major label, which I still don't like the idea of, and either, you know, on our first album on Flower, on the back cover, you can't see it, but the T-shirt I'm wearing says, Corporate Rock Still Sucks. Yeah. We were anti-corporate rock, and we still are. I guess the major labels had such a, um amount of power back then. You know, like if they signed you up, they had a lot of power over you because they'd put so much money into you, and whether it was, like, obvious or not, they could really make a lot of decisions, and they could drop you at the, you know, drop That's of the a hat thing. as well. Yeah, um, 
And I think that's potentially what might have happened to us. That For sure. We probably would have lost a bit of creative control. They would have tried to like put me in a dress, <laughs> make me cut my hair. I don't know. <laughs> Get a real job. Get a real job. <laughs> I don't know. Like we. But it's hard. Like you think of all the 90s bands who were on a major briefly and were dropped and they just it yeah. hurt them and it hurt their um, momentum and their reputation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who knows? But I don't think we made the wrong decision there. We no, I feel have... I feel good about being on shock all that time. Yeah. Mm. We've had a good life. Yeah, us. we had a good run. <laughs> we had a good run. <laughs> Did we talk about that song much? <laughs> that was Hole of Blood. Yeah, what's next? Goat's cheese. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's just goat cheese, not goat's cheese. So Goat Cheese was the song where we got Evan, Dando and Tom Morgan in to sing backing vocals on. Do you remember they rocked up and they had like, I don't know if it was a six pack or they, I think they had a six pack of VB, a packet of Winnie Blues, a bit of pot and maybe some some powder in a bag. On speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they proceeded to get into it and sit down on the floor. There's a photo in our book actually. Yes. Uh, And they came out with a little vocals on goat cheese and it's such a shame because we put them so small in the mix and we they had this one little tiny part and we had it low in the mix and we should have said to them do more do more like you know these dudes freaking write awesome melodies and backing vocals for a living they fall out of bed doing it every morning i mean why wouldn't you use evan dando as backing vocals on every song exactly yeah his voice is awesome it's incredible his voice and also tom but like why goat's cheese it's such a strange song and it's such i mean it's a good song but their backing vocals in it are in such a weird place you can't even hear them if you don't know that they're there they chose the song do you remember having a conversation with evan and tom about doing this no, I just remember um, perhaps when we when they rocked up at the studio, we played them like three songs and they kind of went, oh, we'll have that one. Do you remember talking to them about coming into the studio, though? No. I reckon maybe it happened at that Lemonhead show it that we well went to done. right yeah, in the middle of this. Well, we were good friends with Tom and we had met and played with Evan mm-hmm. previously, so we weren't like unfamiliar with him. It wasn't that weird that they might come in. And us being in Sydney is pretty, you know, just it kind of made sense. Yeah just seemed like another wasted opportunity in a way. I guess it was. But they didn't have a lot of time too, I suppose. It was just like, pick a song, do that. Yeah, and they then, would have been playing for sure that night. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing a line of speed off a Off the back of my guitar. Inch. No, no, oh, I did on a tape. quarter inch tape reel um, out of a hundred dollar bill that Evan handed oh me. Yeah, it was <laughs> like the most rock and roll moment of my entire life. <laughs> it's more rock and roll than every other moment in your life put together. There's all of those moments of like just like not being a rock and roll person yeah, it's all your, in that moment. All your multiple, multiple decades <laughs> of being kind of rock and roll condensed into one minute point. Yeah. Don't let my mum listen to this. Or my dad. Are you talking to me or the world? The world. Please, world, don't let my mum know I did that. If you are Kelly's mum and you're listening, you... I don't know. I've been sober for 12 years. (laughs) 
that, that more than makes up for it. Thank you, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm sure your mum, um, you know. I think she probably had a bit of an idea and might have dabbled in <laughs> some weird, bad behaviour. But you at come some out point. all right, look. Hey, look, I'm pretty together. You are. You're good. It's the only time I ever did that. <laughs> <laughs> I only did it once. I didn't inhale. I tried smoking once. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't inhale. Oh, no, don't put that in there. Um, anyway, yeah, lyrics are kind of about freaking, I don't know, technology versus being... Uh, an ape. A or an ape, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you're an ape in a tree yeah. eating fruit and sucking the sap off leaves. <laughs> yeah. But then you go into hard VR and yeah, I don't know. It's just because you read a lot of William Gibson and like cyberpunk back then, Mm, which I did mm. too. So it was. It's really funny that that you know that was probably pretty edgy back then too. (laughs) Yeah, hard VR. I I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what inspired it, if anything. Um, interesting. It's one of those juxtapositions. Yeah. Of like getting off grid or going hard VR. Yeah. It's, and VR the, stands the back for, half of the song. Oh, sorry. VR stands for virtual reality, yeah. and this was in 1992. This uh, is yeah, fairly, right. uh, you know, advanced science fiction. Don't worry about me. It was science fiction back then, not <laughs> yeah. science fact. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the end of the song, like, is this weird messing around section with uh, different different chord, like the same chord, A minor and A major, kind of like jammed together, and there's points where you're like, what the fuck am I meant to be playing, you know? There's points where, should it be minor there or major? And it's like, I listened to it today and I was thinking, this can be a nightmare listening to this song because this whole A minor major thing at the end. Yeah. And I listened to it and the first change is kind of cool and it works, and the second time around I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And it was just like, what am I doing? And I remember even at the time just going, oh, I don't know, I'll just do whatever, <laughs> just do whatever my fingers what's do. The, what's the ending? Oh, it's kind of like, it's like that long chorusy kind of catchy part. It's in a half Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it moves from a, a, an F to an A minor and then an A major to a D and it's like all kind of crazy and mixed up. Is and that when I'm doing the I'm doing all those crazy lead breaks? Yes. Yeah, all yeah, over yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Not lead breaks, but bass lines. Yeah, it's a weird one. But, you know, we used to play live quite a lot as well. I remember yeah. playing that live heaps. Yeah. What's next? Button is next. It's track seven. Button. Um, I actually really like this. It might even be my favourite on the album. Oh, wow. Yeah. Always or just recent? Uh, maybe just recently. Like, I actually did it at an acoustic show about a year ago at Tim Guitars before it closed down. I love the chords in it and I love the, the little bridge section that happens twice where the chords climb up a little bit. And in that tuning, those chords just really work and it's I love the love the chords and the chords make it for me really um and the melody of the lyric uh, the melody of the singing I'd really love as well and it's just a real dumb song about you know don't give me this don't give me that just give me you you know that's all it Aww, is it's a love yeah, song it is and the film clip's full of like maggots writhing yeah. around <laughs> and <Mafia> guys <laughs> <laughs> It just works together so well. Remember we filmed that at your house on the corner of Jubilee and Waterworks? Yes. And we were, like, jumping on a sofa, like, yes. playing guitar and stuff like that. Yeah, there's me standing on the arms of the sofa or something. But yeah, it was for me, 
I liked it, but it was one of those pop songs, and I was anti-pop sure. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's frivolous pop song to me. Mm. Like, that's just silly. But you know, the, it is. It's a still hard-hitting. Like you know, you're screaming your hair yeah, off and for stuff. Sure. Heaps of fun and the squeaking and popping of the yeah, the amp. Like how did you get I don't that? Know. I think it's just overdriven so stupidly much that it, every time you weren't. You know, strumming a note, it was just yeah. freaking out. It sounds like cicadas or something. It does. Yeah. And which is really funny with the film clip, there's all these insects and That's things true. on it. So it kind of is like, oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. It's insects. And it's got a really long intro, which, like, mm. you, it doesn't really come across so well in the recording what the guitar's actually doing. But it's just this boring long intro where Tony's tapping the drums for 45 seconds, you know? <laughs> oh, so we haven't actually asked in this session, uh, this podcast, what each song. Is you trying to replicate? Like, what are you ripping off? Honestly, um, differently from Flower, much less so with this album. Like, mm-hmm. it's not. It's really when I listen to it, that barely occurred to me. Like, okay. there's still some swerve driver points, like in things like fingers and toes. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, I wrote all the songs in such close cluster, and with the tunings, I was really into that. I just kind of got in my own little bubble with it, actually, and it was way less. Um, you know, trying to be this band, that band, and the other band, like Flower was. Right. So you were just honing your skill as a songwriter. Honing. Homing. Yeah. Homing. Oh, well, I was Isn't just it sort honing? of honing. Yeah, I said yeah, honing, yeah, yeah. and I thought you said homing. No, I, like I just pigeon. kind of went honing. Homing. Honing. <laughs> Can we cut that out? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like you getting better as a songwriter. Or just um, finding like with the with the whole tunings thing. Like when I found that. I just went nuts with it because it's so much fun. How did you find it then? Just mucking around, just being bored with playing fucking C and D and G on the oh, guitar. And, so you know, boring. Yeah, and so like when you go to write a song in different tuning, you you kind of invent all these chords, and uh, they're awesome. And then at the end of the day, like you've recorded it, and you sit down and go, you know what, that song's actually C, D, and G. Yeah. But that's the great thing about it because it kind of gives it a fresh sort of sparkle. Yes. You know, you feel really excited yeah. about C, G, and D again. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, when you were writing these songs, you didn't have a four track, like you said, you didn't have a phone or a recorder or anything. Nothing. So how, did you just play the songs over and over and over? I mean, this is what I do. This is how I learn is playing it over and over and over. Um, yeah, I just committed it all to memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had charts. Remember the piece mm-hmm. of paper with all the different like tracks? It looked like tracks. And so I'd have blocks of like, you know, this guitar comes in there, that comes in there. And I I don't know how I did it, but I memorized all the lead lines. Yeah. And it was weird. I didn't record them on it. anything. It's strange. Because you didn't do anything else yeah. in your life. Yeah. <laughs> a fresh brain, wasn't being bombarded from the internet all day. Yeah, you're a kid. Yeah. You, you didn't even watch TV. You just played the guitar. I watched Twin Peaks. That was about oh, it. Oh, yeah. You had a girlfriend, so you did things like yeah. you had parts of your life that were doing things. Mm. But when you were at home, you were just playing the guitar and writing yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I tried to memorize a you know, one-minute lead part now, it'd be a nightmare. Hmm. I don't know. You'd be able to do it. Yeah, I would. But like back then, it just seemed like second nature. You could just do it without worrying about it. Yeah. I just don't think we could do that now, really, though. Although, honestly... You- we we have just done it with the album that we recorded. We've had to learn all those songs and commit True. them to memory. So mm-hmm. it's doable. It just yeah. takes maybe a little bit longer now. I guess there's maybe a little less memory to ram new stuff You've got into to forget now. old things before yeah, yeah. you can remember the new things. 
kid gets in one side of the bed, the other kid falls out the other side of the bed. Yeah, exactly. Push yeah. that push that person's <laughs> name out from like primary school. That's it. Gotta forget Penny no, what's um there's someone from school had this great name and it, I've forgotten it. So actually I've just got a song in there now. I've forgotten that <laughs> what person. What are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> Bunty Pring. So once I forget Bunty Pring. Was that someone at your school? That's someone, amazing. That's someone's name from Shit. my school. I love that name so much, Bunty Pring. Once I've forgotten Bunty Pring's name, mm-hmm. I'll have a new song that's pushed it out. That's cool. You know, when I was a kid in England, when I was about 14, I used to fancy this girl called Trisha Candy. How good is that? <laughs> Trisha Candy? Yeah. She's like some eye candy and some brain and candy. And her mum wouldn't let her, you know, not go out, but her mummy wouldn't even let her pass her own front door to have a walk with me. Mrs. Candy. That's <laughs> cock-blocked you. <laughs> cock-blocked by Mrs. Candy. There's a song title there for you. There is a song title. That's going to be the opening song on our next album. <laughs> it's a good one. I hope you're doing well, Mrs. Candy. And the last time I saw Trisha Candy, I was cycling, and they <laughs> overtook me in their car. And she looked forlornly out the back window. Oh, and I was just waving as she drove off. <laughs> Off into the sunset, never to be seen by Tim Stewart again. Yeah, never saw her again, but by, whatever. By <laughs> Trisha Candy, by Mrs. Candy. <laughs> The next song is Monster. Monster. Remember when we were rehearsing this uh, with Derek about two years ago and every time there was that slowdown, he'd get on the mic and go... (laughs) That's why I had to go Monster because that's what he does. Monster is like one of my favourite screen feeder songs, especially to play. Um, And uh, again, it's like a real lyrical thing. I like the lyrics. I like the song. I like that I get to harmonize when we play live. Yeah. Um, I think you do all the harmonizing on this track, but it's just so much fun to play. I really like all the parts, and um, I actually even like the lyrics still. Yeah. Okay, so monster. Turn it into a monster, or rather it was a raindrop. Turn it into a teacup, ended up with a full stop. Send it up to the treetops. See if you can change it from, see if you can change its form. Somewhere we can throw it from and see the dawn come. Turn it into a sore face, I'd rather it was a snowflake. Turn it into a headache, ended up with a heartbreak. Wind it out with an earthquake. See if you can change its form. See if you can change it from the hell it would easily become. Try to deflect the rays, all the hate you send my way. Turn it into water and cool it in the rain. Turn it into ashes and cover it with grey. Turn it into snowflakes and freeze away the pain. And freeze away the pain. <laughs> I it's love similar those to um, Close Again. Close Again's got a last line which is similar, isn't it? Something about um, a band aid for your pain. A band aid for your pain. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great lyrics, because again, they're like 
you couldn't really say what they're about. They're kind of literal, but they're very poetic. Yeah, um, I can't really put into words what it's about, but it's maybe about uh, just getting your bad feelings and turning them into something that isn't or something like that, yeah. roughly. You know. Yeah. Do you feel, is it a good feeling for you or is it kind of like one of those like, oh, it's a bit of a funny, it's like you can still kind of see the darkness or something in your brain when you sing it or I don't know. No, it's a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> you don't picture the darkness, the band in your head when you're singing that song? No. Okay. Can you cut all that out? No, I don't. <laughs> I never picture the darkness. I love the darkness. I know. I like the darkness as in... The opposite of the day. Yes. The night I like, time. I like dark things, like heaviness and <laughs> the occult and stuff. <laughs> I'm not a happy guy. I'm just not a fun guy. The funny thing about you is that, yes, actually you are, and your love of all things dark is just a little side hobby. It's just a little, <laughs> yeah. a little place you can go just to be... Just an extension of yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am a, I've got a funny sense of humour. I'm actually quite positive about a lot of stuff, but I can get very dark very quickly. You can, but, you, you know, you've always got a ray of sunlight coming in from the other side. <laughs> You're not, like, morbidly awful to be around or anything so, like that. I know, but I have the darkness, but then there's always a rainbow. <laughs> Across the top of the dark cloud. We need to get t-shirts of your face surrounded half by darkness, half by rainbow. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. But, I mean, it's just really that I don't like, like I can't write a happy song and um, I am attracted to the dark side of things. Mm. I can't write a happy song either. No, who can write a happy song? Custard. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Custard are good at happy songs. Maybe they're not happy songs though. Uh, they kind of are. Um, But, you know. Who needs a happy song when you can write a dark sad song. song that makes you feel like all the feelings? Yes. I feel it inside. Mm-hmm. Happy songs might just give me a spring in my step. So what song were you even talking about again? <laughs> this is Monster. Oh, Monster, yeah. <laughs> I just recited the lyrics like they were a poem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apart from that, do you remember we did a show in Byron Bay with, I think it was Will Oldham. Do you remember that? I can remember being at that um what's up called the northern yeah and watching him on his computer at soundcheck we going, played with him and yes. we played monster but in that gig we sort of said to each other before the gig let's play everything just a little bit less intense and mm. we've played it a little softer and it was actually great right wow that's um i'd like to hear that mm, you should go to our band camp and have a listen <laughs> what no right what's Never. next dude smoke from tinsel is next Smoke from Tinsel, like, I really like it, but I feel it missed the mark. Like, the singing's just weak, you know? Like, it doesn't oh. it doesn't push through. It doesn't... It's sort of in the wrong pitch, and mm. I think it's a good song there somewhere, but like, we just didn't, didn't crack it, you know? You know, it's really quiet, and then yeah. it's like... It's kind of like it's lost some nuance. It's like you've got, like, this quiet beginning with you on a qu- quiet guitar, and then the drums are just like... Yeah. And the bass, it's mm. kind of like um, could have been treated a little um, more deftly. I think heaps of the songs on this album could have been given some more dynamics, for sure. Like, they're all pretty much number 10 all the way. That's because we were all standing there pushing everything up yeah. constantly. But you're right, Smoke and Tinsel could have used heaps more subtlety. Yeah. And the quiet parts just, it's almost like we're all standing around bored waiting for the loud bits because the quiet parts <laughs> lack a bit of, they, they lack some juice, you know, they lack mm. conviction as quiet parts because the singing's kind of weak. Yeah. 
I think the lacking confidence in being quiet. Yeah. Because totally. we were like, we're not, how do you be quiet? We didn't really know how to do it yet. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It is a pretty song. Yeah. I do think, and so there's violin on there as well. The violin's nice. And smoke from tinsel. What did you set fire to the Christmas tree one year? Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, I don't know. But yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, what's it about? Um, no idea. Hmm. That having control. Mm, do you say have maybe. control, have control at the end? Yeah, times, um, it happens to me ten times a day. What happens to me? Or you have to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> or you get heart flutters because you're thinking about somebody. You get the burps, the hiccups. Uh, all those things, but like, really, I don't want to misbuff all these songs. Myth, myth, <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't want to what? Myth bust all these songs and say they're about nothing, but like, it's not really about anything I can put my finger on. But that's okay, as we yeah, discussed. Yeah, that's okay. I think that there's nothing wrong. Songs don't have to be about anything. I mean, do you ask a painter, what does this painting represent? I mean, I guess some people do, <laughs> but then can you just like not paint a picture because it's like you need to paint it? Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. That's the end of today's lesson. Please be an artist and do whatever you want. Okay. You should be a doctor. Writing's atrocious. <laughs> I should be a doctor. Let's just call you a doctor. Okay. What have we got? Around a pole. <laughs> oh shit, that took a long time to get to. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I just said it and I looked at it and oh god. Uh, Round a pole, that's another fave to this day, pretty much. We play it every show, don't we? I know. It's almost like we've overdone it. It's so fun to play, though. It's really fun. I wonder if people are like, oh, come on, really? Again? <laughs> they might be. And like that's one of my fears, playing live, that we just flog a song to death. My thoughts on that is that who is coming to all of our shows? It's just us. We are the ones that are at every <laughs> single show. Yeah. No one else is going to know we played it to last 10 shows in a row. I'm actually having more fun with that song now than ever. Like, I really enjoy the guitar and the singing on it. I love playing the bass on it. It's really fun. It goes around a circle. Mm -hmm. It's, like, jaunty without being jaunty. It's poppy and it's fun. And the end section with the halftime. And I get to down. play chords. Yeah. And um, I, maybe, like, five years ago, I started singing different backing vocals uh -huh. I'm not singing with you I'm singing against you and it's like that we should have recorded that that's good oh right of course you've got it in between now mm, in oh between yes is. you're right So this song's got some lines in it which sort of, you know, you can relate to directly, like lost the greatest riff I ever had, yeah. fell asleep. How many times have you like thought of the best song ever as you're falling asleep or in a dream? Yeah, totally. Okay, so that we've got around a pole. Yeah, around a pole. And now the last song, Hold On. 
hold on, I forgot all about this. And I was like really pleased and surprised when I heard mm. it. To me, it's like, yeah, I really like it, all the parts work and whatever, but we sort of perhaps overcooked it. Like it's just too heavy and bombastic for what it is. It could have just been just back a touch and it might have been nicer and better, you know. It's heavy-handed yeah, in it retrospect, is. It is. but that's what I love about it too because now we would make it sound lighter yeah, and we wouldn't have all that denseness and I, I love it. It captures the time. Yeah, it captures I mean, that's the, the thing for me about the album. On the one hand, I was sitting there going, oh, God, the guitars are relentless. It's like a sledgehammer every single song. We're not giving it any dynamics. You know, I thought if only we could remix it now or re- re-sing it or whatever. And then I was like, but we can't because that's the album and that's what everyone dug. And that's how it ended up being liked by people, you know, mm-hmm. who came to see the band. And uh, they obviously got it, you know. And that was, yeah, you're right. It was the times. Yeah. And I feel like listening to the album on a, as a whole, I was transported back in time. But I was listening to it with really fr- a fresh perspective and mm-hmm. it stands up. It's it sounds great today. It could cool. be a record today. I mean, wow. it could be released today and be fine. Wow. Okay. For me, I can hear things in the production which sort of, you know, make it feel like, you know, you can tell it was recorded back then, like mm. the sort of drum effects and the way the guitars are very much one big slab without being separated at all. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a bit of an old then thing rather than now everything will be much more discernible. And I think David Price wasn't quite ready for the guitar thing because I remember like we had two quads in the room and I think I was using a Fender Super Bassman head or something like that and he had 10 mics on the cabs. Are you kidding and me? he had 10 tracks of guitar <gasps> for every – and he would, you know, funnel them down into like two tracks on the desk but he had all these inputs Whoa. and because he was trying to sort of filter and get the best – combination of mics on the guitar but there was freaking heaps of mics on there to try and get it that's but he got crazy it. like well, it was it was good that's we a weird technique literally the same you know the same controls on the amp for every song like we didn't touch yeah. anything it was exactly the same sound every song well so i mean how did we end up using david price he seemed to be a strange pick for us at that time because i think he'd worked for like the Screaming Jets or something. Yeah, he'd done a bit more mainstream rock stuff, but Dan Hennessy at Survival um, suggested him, put him mm. forward because he'd done maybe Front End Loader and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was from a different world from yeah. us. He wasn't someone we would kind of hang out with, kind mm. of, I don't mm. think. I don't remember a lot of him actually from back then. I don't either. And um, I guess it feels like it was a good choice of Dan's because he was a rock guy. And Dan, I guess, knew we were going to make a rock record. And the noise after after mm. hold on, do you remember that? Uh, yeah, the so I can remember. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it sounds like whale noises and the sea. Yeah, so the sea part of it is. Then the dat machine. It was a dat machine rewinding. Yeah, yeah. this yeah, weird just digital hissing sort yeah. of. Yeah, and the noise, uh, the deep sound was like I tuned the guitar right down, and I was just 
pushing the guitar neck against the amp and it would start going and it was a really low note and mm. that was all it was just a bit of like the initial stages of the guitar reverberating and feeding back on the edge of an amp mm-hmm. and that was all it was yeah and then it's a little bit of like analog delay at the end it's oh yeah i think well because it was recorded to tape there must have been some sort of um maybe it's the tape actually running out it might have been something like that yeah it could easily have been and it's just the, the it would, there the, would have been a delay on it or something yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a delay on it and it just runs out yeah it's cool whatever yeah uh, and was that something that we did specifically or it just ended up uh i think we we're just fucking around one day and yeah. we were like let's record it because it oh, took yeah. you know five minutes or cool. something It was good times. It was a really great time. It was a fun session. It was. Like, I don't have any bad vibes, yeah. feelings from that particular session. There were other sessions where were harder. Uh-huh. But this one, yeah, we did a really great record, Tim. Well, when you texted me that today and you're all excited, I was like, oh. Yeah. It's funny because, like, I don't think about this stuff. Like, doing this podcast and having to just recently do the book and everything. Uh-huh. I've just, you know, you just let things happen and you don't really reflect on them much. And going back and listening and viewing things as there's so much time has passed between them and you can be an observer instead of being a critic. I feel like I'm, I just feel really happy, you know. I'm so glad that I haven't listened to it and gone, oh, geez, I'm cringing all the way yeah, through this. Totally. Like, oof, wish we hadn't done it like yeah, that. Or, yeah. you know, I'm really content and happy with the output awesome. over the years so yay go you um go so you. one thing i'll mention really quickly like it's not super exciting but because we're on the subject uh the record was then released by tang in america in 1994 and actually again released by poison city in 2017 or 14 or whatever it was <laughs> a reissue on vinyl but when we did the release for tang in 1994 do you remember we were all set to go to america Tang was going to pay for us to go over and we were going to play one of the early South by Southwests. And we did um, two nights at the Annandale in Sydney, raising money for our trip. Mm-hmm. And we did probably a farewell gig in Brisbane too. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Roxy actually. And we were all set to go and we'd done our, we'd done our dates in Sydney. And it was almost like three or four days before we left, Dan rang up and said, it looks like it's not happening. The The money for, for the air tickets from Tang has not arrived. And we didn't know what to do and we were just like a bit, holy shit, yeah. what are we going to do? And we had to go back with our tail between our legs and say to everyone, we're not actually going. It fell through, which is yeah. a little bit embarrassing, but more just terrible and like yeah. sad for us at that point. I can remember that because I had gone home to see my mum and dad before I left. Mm-hmm. I got down to the point where I changed my money into traveler's yeah, right. checks okay. to like go to the States. And um, it just... Didn't happen. Yeah. We were really jilted at the altar. Yeah, it was totally. a bit yeah. kind of, yeah, it was embarrassing and it was hard to kind of know what the deal was. Yeah, we never really got the uh, story for from it. We know he we never got accounted to. No one ever called us and said, this is what happened and this is why and we're sorry or anything mm. like that. 
Yeah. But I, from, you know, from memory, we just, in the end, we kind of just went, ah, oh, whatever, and we just kept working. Like yeah. we probably were recording Felicitator a couple of months later mm-hmm. and almost starting to work towards Philadelphia music yeah. and going out on tour again. And we just went, all right, well, back to work. You yeah. Know? So none of these things, like these, we had quite a few big, uh, like roadblocks yeah. in, over the years and mm-hmm. we never really did, deterred from keeping moving forward though we might have been parked at the roadblock for a bit but we we were always able to overcome and keep moving um i i remember it was probably just you know like you said tail between the legs Mm. and then we just kept going yeah um i don't remember that we ever really made a big deal about it either you know i don't think that it was something that lasted for very long you yeah know? i don't think it was in our nature i think we always were just like okay fuck it on with the on with the show you know what's yeah. next what are we gonna do yeah especially with tony like he was always very forward and very like okay i'll get us a tour and like two weeks later we'll be mm. out on tour that was the great thing about him yeah. he was very determined and focused sure. and and you know you reading your diaries mm. like it really emphasizes to me how ambitious you were and that was something which wasn't really overt before that yeah i probably didn't even know that it was ambition because mm. it was all personal and I mm-hmm. would probably never really talk about it to anybody. So, yeah, um, I was very ambitious. Yeah. I was very driven and focused. And I worked really hard at trying to be the best. Yeah. <laughs> and I was never the best, but I tried very hard to be very good. Well, that's what matters, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't – I mean, I'll rephrase that. It's not like – I've never wanted to be the best at anything because I just think that's not really realistic, but – I just really had a point to prove. Like right. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to not do it mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Funny, hey? It is. So I guess that's burnout your name kind of done, right? I think we've managed to do a slightly shorter episode than usual, which is great. That is great. So next time will be episode four and it'll be about Philly Self and Music. Very yeah, different album. Very different. We went left. Yeah, we really did. <laughs> we huh? turned left. We didn't run with the ball that we'd been running with prior to that. We just started playing a different game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. So this has been Tim and Kelly on the Scream Feeder podcast, The Ending Goes Forever. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about Burnout Your Name. Um, just quickly, this is still on Patreon at the moment. And six months down the track or so, it will be on all the streaming channels. So if you're a patron of the band, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We really do. It's made the world of difference. It's made actually let us continue because we would have stopped if no one was listening. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) That's it for us. Yeah, bye. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.